This is Elite Business Live. I'm your co-host, Ollie Barrett, and Hannah Previtt and I are guiding you through what I hope is a very interesting range of conversations and interviews. Our next guest, in fact, our specialist when it comes to all things overseas expansion. She is a Californian, but she has been a European for the last 30 years. Uh, Alison Stewart-Allen has advised over 200 businesses in probably 20 or more countries, 26 countries, I think, at the last count. I have personally recommended and given one of her books, Working with Americans, to numerous people, particularly as they went on overseas trade missions to the Bay Area, and very grateful they were for that. It's a very great pleasure to welcome to our stage, without further ado, Alison Stewart-Allen. Alison. Thank you very Great. much. How Great. lovely to see you in person, Alison. You too. You too. Isn't this fantastic? It, it's nice not to be on mute, isn't it? That's isn't it? Isn't it? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for this invitation. It's, not at all. It's really wonderful. No, thank you. And, and, and as someone who I know enjoys zigzagging the globe, how has been, how's it been being grounded? Very uh, frustrating because, well, I'm missing duty-free shopping, of course, <laughs> uh, but I'm also missing, you know, seeing family and friends in the U.S., for example, and clients in different parts of the world. Yeah. So I'm hoping that in real life lives up to the expectations we all have, which starts in a few weeks' time. I know. Well, we sort of brace ourselves. Well, every time you speak, I learn something new. So we're in your capable hands, and I leave you our guest uh, in the company of the brilliant Alison Stewart-Allen. Thank you so much, Ollie. So thank you all for tuning in and uh, inviting me to share a few points of view uh, on this important topic uh, of how to crack international markets, but specifically we're focused now on Asia Pacific. Uh, so the agenda for the next few brief minutes, three key things I want to uh, cover with you. Uh, one is a little bit about the size of the prize and why bother. The second really is about what you need to know before you go, and we'll do a hyperspeed tour through the world of cross-cultural negotiation. Uh, and then last but not least, I want to spend just a few minutes on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I'm sure some of the images I'm, I'm going to show you will uh, make you laugh. Uh, perhaps cry if you had anything to do uh, with them uh, in terms of, uh, you know, what works in Asia Pacific by way of brands and brand names and why they wouldn't work elsewhere. And so it's so important to understand the local context. Uh, and that's what I'll hopefully impart. So uh, let's, uh, I'm going a little ahead of myself here. Uh, let's get started with a very brief model of how you describe another business culture. So this one is a nine dimension model. This is the sort of academic part of the talk. Uh, nine dimensions uh, on this model that look at uh, three types of ways to influence, communicate, negotiate with any other business culture. Uh, so they're all equally important. It isn't that the ones at the top are more important than the ones near the bottom, but they, they basically cluster around relating, reasoning, uh, and making sure that you uh, can you know, sell your idea effectively uh, in Asia Pacific. So this is a quick snapshot of the profile of the Australian business culture. What are you seeing here? Well, the, uh, mm, 
the slides have their own mind. Uh, what you're seeing here is uh, it's about the relationships before getting down to business. Uh, you're seeing here that it's a rather explicit mode of communication. Uh, it's moderate around taking risks. Uh, it's uh, fairly linear in terms of how you present information, which means sequentially is linear and circular means maybe more randomly. Um, and I guess most importantly on this last point is simple, meaning tell the Australians the foreground, not necessarily the backstory. Uh, then we have China. So you can see it's quite different from Australia and it skews to the right hand edge, near 10 out of 10 on all of these. It's about the relationship. It's about the group, not the individual members of a group. Uh, it's about uh, power being concentrated in the hands of a few people with status. Uh, it's about uh, the facts, the data, not the theory. So you start with the data, perhaps extract a theory based on that. Uh, and last but not least, it's about context. Uh, so it's about that complexity in the backstory that informs what people think. So here we have Japan, a bit of a mix compared to China, of course, as you can see. But what you definitely notice is one out of 10 on tight control of time. Uh, so in Japan, it's very important that you uh, pay attention to the clock, that things are uh, regimented, that you honor appointments and schedules. They really matter. Whereas we know in other parts of the world, you know, think of Latin Europe, think of Latin America, you know, time is one of those things in the background. What's more important are the relationships. So uh, the next piece, uh, gosh, I do apologize. I don't know why this slide has jumped to uh, this last point. Let me talk about the second point here, which is the what to know before you go navigating, uh, excuse me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so before we go into some of these pictures I'm going to show you, let me just talk briefly about why this is so important uh, and why you should care about growing in Asia Pacific and doing your homework about this marketplace. So we know that there's some research from 2018 that Barclays uh, Bank conducted that found 57% of, of consumers in China are prepared to pay more for goods that are made in the UK. Uh, and the perception is that UK-based brands uh, have much higher quality. Uh, it's also worth noting in 99, China was the UK's 26th biggest export market and the 15th largest source of imports. In 2019, only 20 years on, China was the UK's sixth largest export market and the fourth largest source of imports and accounted for 4% of British exports in total. Looking briefly at Japan, in 2019, Britain's exports there were 3.6% of the total, 2.6% to South Korea, 2.5% to Hong Kong. So uh, across the whole uh, your Australasia region, uh, the UK exported uh, uh, roughly 2% of all goods uh, and 3% of services. So if we think about the UK's top 25 export markets in 2019, so a year and a half or so ago, China was uh, at position six out of the 25 with 30 or so billion pounds in value. Japan at number 11 at 14, nearly 15 billion. Hong Kong at number 12 with nearly 14 billion. Australia, 12 billion. Singapore, 11. South Korea, nearly seven. So you have a lot to win. 
in getting it right in the Asia-Pacific region, but you've got to do your homework in each country. You cannot take the template that's been so successful for you in the UK or maybe the US or other parts of Europe. It's critical that you get that granularity and that cultural understanding and context if you're going to be successful. So let me now move into some of the good, the bad, and the ugly for your entertainment pleasure. Uh, so, ah, I think I'll go backwards then. So here's Korea. Uh, this is a product that's very successful if you encounter this in your South Korean uh, business trips or doing your re market research there. You may see this, and of course for us in the West, we think this is quite funny. Uh, we also, going backwards one slide, maybe not, there we are. Uh, we have these products uh, that are alive and well and popular in Japan. So you have this chocolate biscuit on the left side. You have a coffee drink called Depresso. And you have Crunky Nude, uh, which is a confectionery item. Uh, Crunky Ball Nude, even more exciting. Uh, then uh, on our, my next slide, uh, you have uh, China. What is this? This is a blueberry flavored crisp. Uh, and I have no idea what it tastes like, but it does tell you that what we think is normal and going to be a successful product in grocery in the UK, clearly there are variants uh, that may or may not work uh, out of China for other parts of the world, or perhaps even if you're in that business, that may not work either there. Uh, this one is Breast Munchies. This is po quite popular in Australia. Uh, it's a coating for chicken uh, breast. Uh, interesting brand name. Uh, then we've got, uh, oh, I think that might be the last one in the pack. Yeah. So I think in conclusion, the key thing that you should take away from the past few minutes, it's worth it. The size of the prize for you is significant when you get it right which will require localization, which will require cultural understanding. Next thing to do is make sure that you adapt. As you saw from those images, you know, some things work really well in these parts of the world that we think are funny, uh, but your approach in the UK may not translate literally into the Asia Pacific region. So it's imperative that you immerse yourself, that you understand the culture, uh, that you uh, know how to negotiate and communicate and influence people there, uh, and that you know what adaptations you're going to need to make if you're going to be successful in that very varied region, because we know that South Korea, Japan, Australia, China are all extremely different from each other, just like the EU. Uh, so the more you understand those nuances, the more likely you are to be really successful. So... We'll shortly be in a Q&A. Hopefully, uh, I can tell you a little bit more during that session. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to have a few minutes with you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Alison. As ever, that was brilliant and some amazing examples. I don't know where you get these from. Where do you get these examples? A little bit of research online, believe it or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's others I couldn't share. They were just a bit too uh, <laughs> inappropriate. I just remember there was a famous car, wasn't it? The Vauxhall Nova, which of course in Spanish means doesn't go. Yes, correct. And car companies are notorious for this. Yeah. Uh, in, in having names, there's um, uh, one in America uh, called the Pujero 
which in Spanish is quite rude. Yes. Uh, as is the pinto, which is a forward <laughs> one, which also in Spanish is a rude phrase. So. Yeah, no, indeed. And uh, we could swap stories about this, but I'll probably get told off uh, <laughs> afterwards. Um, I spoke to Charlie Mullins earlier, Alison, who for decades has built, steadily built a business, a plumbing business in the UK and only in you know, this particular year, well, perhaps, forgive me, Charlie, if it's happened in previous years, but now looks overseas to mm -hmm. Dubai, to the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So how would a company know when it's time to double down and conquer your home market or to listen to that sort of siren call of overseas opportunity? How do we begin to get our heads around it? So actually, it's not an or, it's an and. Mm -hmm. Uh, you actually have to do the domestic market and work the domestic market and simultaneously have an international strategy mm. because you don't switch off from running your home market mm. to be able to do international. Mm. But you learn a lot by doing the home market well and studying international and finding what adaptations would you need to make for an overseas market. Yeah. And sometimes you can bring those adaptations back to the home market mm. and it's a great source of innovation. Okay, and, and without going off on too much of a hypothetical, could you imagine a company saying, do you know what, we just happen to be based here in London or Milton Keynes, mm -hmm. but frankly, we're gonna hopscotch over our home market and we're going straight for Australia or yep. the US or yep. China. Yep. And companies do do that, uh, but the ones that do their homework win because mm. they understand that you have to change something. It might be the brand name, as you saw in some of those images. Yeah. It might be the value proposition. If it's a service, mm. you need to be much more responsive in some parts of the world than others. So unless you do that homework yeah. and, and know what it smells like in that foreign market, mm -hmm. you won't, you're not necessarily gonna win. So you gotta spend time there and there's no shortcuts. Right, so I want to understand a bit more about what spending time there means in this increasingly uh, virtual world. If you've got a question <laughs> for Alison, please send it in. We might have time for those during the panel or in our one-to-one -one here. Where are you on this sort of boots on the ground Question. Some would say that from the middle of their volcano, wherever they might be, they can <laughs> rule the world, but maybe there's no substitute for getting there. Yeah, I don't think there's any substitute for being physically in the, in the market and going. Mm. And obviously the last you know, 12 months with lockdown uh, and COVID has meant that it's been pretty much impossible to go in person. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no substitute for that because you do observe how people shop or how they make phone calls yeah. or what they say. Yeah. Uh, and you can't get that through a Zoom call. Yeah, you no, just can't. I, I understand that. And actually, if we all come around, just um, just to, to, to think about what the viewer might be um, pondering, what else comes with being there physically? Because just to play about what you're saying there, it is about understanding. Mm -hmm. How much about relationships? How much of relationships are face-to-face? -face? Well, what a great question. So in certain parts of the world, if you don't have the relationship first, you're never gonna be allowed to do business. Ah. And in Asia Pacific in particular, relationships really count. Mm. So there's, you know, and face-to-face -face really counts. Mm. So you can't just show up and say, oh, hey, uh, Mr. Uh, Japanese counterpart whose business I really want to win. Here's my spreadsheet, let's get down and start mm -hmm. talking about the detail. I'm sorry. 
you've got to do a couple of weeks uh, to get to know them, be allowed to call them by their first name, mm -hmm. uh, a few karaoke nights, if I may say so from experience, Yes. before you're even allowed to talk about business. And, and purely out of interest, and just let's dive into that uh, particular one, um, on said karaoke night, to what extent are we talking business in that environment, or then are we off, are we playing? You're not, it's off limits. There's no business conversation until you're in an office setting. The whole reason for the karaoke nights, the, the meals, I mean, I remember that HSBC ad a few years uh -huh, ago uh -huh. of the Chinese banquet yeah. with the eel and the British uh, customer eating the, all of the eel, being yeah. polite. Yeah. They see the empty bowl, which in China means, oh, you must be very hungry, and yeah. they come back with another eel, which he couldn't stand in the first place, but he did it because culturally that's what you do. So it's part of the bonding and, and part of the foundation setting before you can do the business. Right, so, so, so it's, it is building up that understanding, building the bonding process. Okay, so here's a question for you. How can businesses learn about other than reading your brilliant books, uh, the cultural differences and contexts in the country they plan to expand to, um, particularly if they can't travel to all these other countries at the moment. If we just come straight into the camera here, yep. just I'm conscious about yep. uh, the whole field yep. here. So I think there are so many online resources uh, that are at your disposal, not least uh, Google, uh, and you'll find plenty of top tips and uh, chapters and booklets and diagnostics that yeah. you can actually take that tell you here's the way you prefer to do business and here's how they prefer it in, let's say, Asia-Pacific yeah. country X. So that's one. Two, there are several books on how you negotiate with country X. So certainly have a look on Google, Amazon, all the usual uh, outlets, uh, and you will find no doubt several books that detail do this, don't do this. Uh, and so uh, the more you can read, um, there's also s films. I mean, you know, if I think about Lost in Translation, uh, and, uh, and I just blanked on his name from there Groundhog Day. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson are in Tokyo, and there's uh, a lot that is in that film that also seems to educate all of us about this. Well, well uh, what you've made me wonder there, Alison, is, and I was being educated, if you like, by sort of uh, um, some of our guests earlier, particularly how different generations do, do business. In your experience, to what extent are some of these cultures, you know, potentially hundreds of years old, or actually mm -hmm. are they so fast-flowing, we'd, be we'd better get an up-to-date copy of those books? So... It's a, another great question, too, because culture is very persistent. Mm. So cultures don't really change quickly over time. Uh, having said that, business cultures have had to change because of COVID-19 and working from home. Uh, and so corporate cultures are changing. Whether national business cultures are changing at the same rate, I don't think happens. Mm. It's glacial. It takes a long time for the values to shift. Yeah, no, that, that, that certainly resonates. I mean, um, what I'd like to do a little bit, Alison, is sort of um, listen even more carefully to what you're saying about how different business cultures operate. Because mm. um, I guess my question is, to what extent is the lesson, therefore, that we should, as Brits, be moderating, be modulating our behavior, or is it saying, no, no, you be you, just be aware of how the other country, in that case, does things? Um, I think you have to adapt to the different, the other marketplace. Uh, and of course, I get asked this a lot with regard to the Americans, because yeah. we're extremely frustrating for many people in this country. Uh, and the answer is, 
where's the money? If the money is in Japan, China, South Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, Asia Pacific, the United States, mm -hmm. you need to attempt the behavior that resonates in that country. When you're negotiating, when you're trying to build relationships, you should be yourself, I, and I'm not suggesting be, don't be yourself, be somebody else. Be yourself, but have this knowledge that mm. this is how they prefer to negotiate and build relationships, yeah. and this is therefore what you should do. Yeah. And if you don't do that, yeah. you won't have the relationship. Okay, well, what if they've been reading the other books from Amazon, <laughs> and then somehow we'll sort of keep stepping on each other's toes, I mean. You, well, I think, I think it, sh you know, the more you attempt to flex and, um, uh, assimilate to that other business culture, the more goodwill you get. Right. So my husband, great, great guy, had s French at school. Um, he's not fluent, that's okay, but he tries. Yeah. And when you're in France, just saying the occasional yeah. word in French, Oh, that's yeah. delightful. Oh, yeah. you don't. Oh, you speak the language. Then they <laughs> then they talk fluently. If, and, if yeah. you let me take over the curriculum, I think I give all children a few phrases in about thirty languages. Exactly. I think that exactly. Would be a nice way forward. So actually. do I. And, and and just on a very practical note, Alison, is is the rule when in Rome or when with Romans? Hmm. Uh, I well, it could be both. Mm. Uh, so, for example, our, Ita our, Italian, our Italian friends have come to visit uh, at the end of the year. Should we revert to normal or are we being hugely mindful of all the rules that you talked through in their case study? So I think you should be mindful of the rules uh, because um, it's uh, accommodating, it's welcoming if you are aware of, how, of the lens they're wearing. Sounds like we're talking about empathy. Oh, we're definitely are talking about empathy. Cross-cultural yeah. working is all about empathy. Yeah. And if, the, if you don't have that appreciation and understanding and interest in this other culture, yeah. then don't bother, really. Yeah. Don't bother. And, and, and just give me a, a glimpse of where you've seen, particularly Brits, get it a bit wrong. Could be in the US, but it could be Asia Pacific. Um, okay, well, look, I'll, why don't I talk about briefly the U.S. because that's top of mind right now for me because uh, I'm actively in that world every day. Um, Americans are uh, quite bullish and confident and it comes across over here as overconfidence. Yeah. And so on a dial, a volume dial of 1 to 10, Americans are at 11 and the Brits are probably about 5. So, you know, saying, oh, well, we're, we're rather good at our, <laughs> our software applications. Yes, we've, we're okay. Well, you say we need to dust <laughs> off our trumpet. I, and, and the Americans will hear, oh, you're only okay? You mean <laughs> you're not number one? You're not awesome? You haven't won a billion awards? You know, uh, so it sounds a little tentative. Yeah, I understand. Uh, so, you know, turning the volume up in a market like that is important. Turning the volume down in Asia is important. Interesting, so a little more humility. Much more humility. Much more implied communication. Uh, so, so how do we yeah. cross this gap though, if you go back to sort of, you know, pillars of rhetoric, the ways to persuade, you know, pillar one is credibility, reputation. How do we project our credibility and reputation without bragging? Through other people. Right. So in those parts of the world where relationships count, you have an introducer yep. who says, Oh my goodness, have you not met Ollie Barrett? He's amazing. I will introduce you. He'll be fantastic. Then they meet but you. I don't need Ollie, to say we've yeah, learned yeah. all these great things about you. Yeah. You're wonderful. When can we get you to help us with whatever issue? Yeah. Uh, and you don't need to say, oh, here's my CV. 
here's what I've done. Yeah. They know it already because yeah. they've been told it. And you just say, oh, that's very kind. Thank you very much. In a much. way, that's a good technique in any country, though. Yes, it, it is. You know, it has to get someone else to, yes, to, it be, is. to be your champion. Okay, <laughs> well, we're going to be uh, we're getting more on these sort of um, questions. But who, have you, who does a business surround itself with? I've been on my mind about these sort of Sherpas as they go off mm. uh, on their overseas journeys. Who do they keep close? And who do they not ask that they probably should? Yeah. Uh, so they keep close to uh, market researchers. Mm. Uh, they may keep close to DIT yep. because of their network around this the globe. Is the Department for International yes, Trade. Yes, sorry. Yeah, 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 Thank yeah. you. Uh, so uh, they've got missions uh, with inside the embassies all over the world. So yeah. that's a great resource to keep around you. Uh, certainly financiers are a good uh, group yeah. to keep around you in terms of how do you raise money. And when you say sort of home-based or in, in sort of in... in e either post, one, yeah. either one, yep. but preferably yep. in that marketplace yep, because yep. they'll tell you the regulatory framework yep. over there yep. that you may not be able to pick up here. Mm. One thing I really took from Silicon Valley, by the way, was the idea of a bank, for example, as a connector. Yes. As an introducer. Yes. We need more of that over here. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I think uh, there's a huge opportunity for banks in, in the UK. Uh, to realize that a lot of their value derives from connecting their clients right. to each other. Right, which yeah. is so fulfilling. Right. Alison, will you stay with us for the I'd panel? I'd love to. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Thank you so much for now, Alison Stewart Allen. Don't go anywhere.